This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And good morning, and as I glance out the window here from the Zoomerplex in Liberty Village, I'm seeing a sky that is much the same, I hear, in Prince Edward County. Very beautiful blue sky, Charlie, huh? It's gorgeous. Good morning, Franklin. But it's chilly. There's a nice little yeah. sound of cold in the air. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Although I did expect from the forecast, oh gosh, it was mid-afternoon yesterday, they were saying, oh, you're going to get snowed on you folks in the New Market area, which is where I live. Mm-hmm. And no, it didn't, didn't happen, at least oh, uh, not so far anyway. I'm glad. I'm yeah. glad because you'd be still coming down in your snowshoes down, yeah. to, the, down <laughs> to the station. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. So what's been going on at uh, Prince Edward County these days? Well, things are pretty quiet here, just as they are everywhere, I think. I mean, obviously, we were pretty much glued to our televisions all of Wednesday. Oh, God, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I think for me personally, I'm feeling a little lighter, a little less weight on my shoulders right now. I'm feeling a little better. About our I think a lot of people are. <laughs> friends and neighbors to to the south. So, yep. And it was quite a beautiful, it was a pretty touching day, I thought. Oh. I thought the inauguration and the, the music and particularly the poet, Amanda Gorman, were oh. absolutely outstanding. So, yeah, that was an interesting, an interesting day for sure. Do you know something? Shirley and I were, of course, glued to the set. And uh, it, it, I, at one point I said, look at us. Here we are, two Canadians in tears watching the inauguration of the president of the United States. And Lady Gaga, oh, mm-hmm. yeah. blew me away. Has Just, she got a set of pipes or what? Wow. <laughs> And she's only a little thing, you know. I Boy, know it's she delivered. But I got to. I got a busy day shaping up here. You do. Eh? Once once I get out of here and I can get outside, I've got to race over to Metro, buy a birthday card for my uh, one of my grandchildren. Uh, Ellie Dye celebrates her tenth birthday today. It's my younger son Ooh. Toby and Katie's uh, little gal. Yeah. And then I got to run over to the bank and get some fooling money I can put in that card. <laughs> And then I got to go to the beer store and pick up 12 Stella Artois for, for our buddy Carlos, who, oh. our operator, who is also the superb operator of my big band Sunday night. Uh-huh. And uh, he did such a grand job for me last week. I said, hey, I'm getting you some beer. What's your favorite? <laughs> Yo, Stella Artois. So I, I got to get, get busy and do all this stuff. Wow. I thought for a second you were buying beer for little Ellie Guy. No, no. <laughs> No, she'll she'll get you know some folding money there and be able to blow it on whatever I guess. Uh, yes. uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I better give the phone numbers here. Oh, my gosh. Good point. Yes. Yeah, that's a good idea. Here's okay. <laughs> Charlie Dobbin is the other voice you're hearing, and of course she is the star of the show and uh, garden expert, as it were. Anyway, in Toronto, call this number four one six three six zero zero seven forty, and uh, anywhere in the province. Toll free one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. If you happen to be a first time caller, let Carlos know. He'll re- kind of get that information to me. And just before you get to the air, 
You'll get your garden wings. Oh, and call early, call off, and one question per call. How's that? Well done. Woo! Got it all in there. Okay. We're, we're, we're going to come back uh, with the, in fact, we've got callers on the line right now. We've got a number of emails we want to deal with throughout the show. So lots going on here on a Saturday morning from Zoomer Radio. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, we're going to uh, welcome a, a caller that has called in a couple of times on the show for sure, Wilma, and I believe from Holstein. Is that correct, Wilma? Yes, it is. All righty. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I don't know whether your snow is white as white as ours is, but it's a beautiful morning out there in the bush. <laughs> it, it is. I don't think I have as much snow as you, though. I think you're in a little more snow country. Well, we've had uh, a fresh coating overnight, too. So Beautiful. Yeah, it's hanging everywhere. It's beautiful. <laughs> if you can say winter is beautiful. <laughs> Be positive. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, my hibiscus, mm-hmm. it, it weathered the relay from outside to inside last fall very nicely mm-hmm. and never really lost any leaves, stayed mm-hmm. green. And is still growing very well, but some of the branches are getting rather scraggly looking mm-hmm. and long. And mm-hmm. there's new growth coming on the end of them. The tips, yeah, exactly. But if I cut them back, will I cut off the blooms? These these plants do not bloom very readily. <laughs> so is it in bud right now, bud and bloom now? No, they don't seem to have any buds. It's new, I would say it's new leaves rather than buds coming. But yeah. that's where the buds would come to, though, is it not? Sure, but, but if you don't actually have flower buds forming and obviously on the plant now, you uh, do not hesitate. Uh, you can do it today or you could wait another couple of weeks, but get out your pruners and you are going to cut that plant way back. And your intention is that you're going to cut it back by as much as a third. So you can go back quite a bit. Okay. And, okay. You ha- and you'll cut back two nodes or uh, bumps on the branches where there's leaves right now or th- and where the leaves are right now. Remember, there's little buds that are hidden underneath the bark there, little dormant buds. So if you cut back, what will happen is new growth is going to sprout out from all those parts where you pruned back to, and then you'll be in good shape to let it grow right through the spring and hopefully the summer without having to do any pruning at all. And when the flower buds do form on the tips, you won't have to do any pruning because you did all your pruning in the late winter, though right now it's not quite late winter. So you could wait another, like I say, another couple of weeks if you want, and then do a real hard prune, and it's the best thing for the plant. Okay, okay, because it, it looked fairly compact when I brought them in, but mm-hmm. um, since that, they've been growing um, that they are, some of them are putting their four feet tall over the pot now. So. Yeah, and that's just an indication of the light levels are lower inside than they were outside. Yeah. So we call yeah. that, you know, 
sort of the, the common terminology is that the plant is stretching to the light. Yeah. So, so we end up in a bathroom window. They're as oh, close yeah. to the light as I can get them. Yeah, but he probably loves the bathroom, loves the humidity. So uh, and it, and there isn't a whole lot of sunshine. Hasn't been a, even worse yeah, Wilma, this winter, I think. Wilma, so, thank yeah. you, my, yeah. thank you, darling. We have to move along okay. here, okay? Okay. We, we have folks waiting, <laughs> waiting on the line. And uh, thank uh, on behalf of Charlie. Thank you, folks out there, for being so diligent in sending her emails. Let me deal with one here from Sue. Susan Miller. Hi, Charlie and Frank. I have a peace lily from my favorite aunt gave me uh, years ago. I take it outside in the summer, and this year it did great. I even have a flower for the first time. Now that it's inside, like the rest of us, and not doing so well, the leaves are turning brown. There are two new shoots at the bottom. I had it in the south window getting half-day sun, but have moved it onto a table in the same room. I water it about once every two weeks. Please help. What am I doing wrong? I don't want to lose my dear plant. Thanks for the help, Susan Miller. Yeah. Okay, so um, the peace lily is a great house plant, very common. Uh, proper name is Spathy phylum, if anybody wants to look it up. S as in Sam, P-A-T-H-I-P-H-Y-L-L-U-M, Spathy phylum. So you're right, uh, Susan, to have moved it out of the window. It does not want to be in direct sun. It wants a bright spot in your house, so make sure it is if it's in a south or west facing room, that it is a number of feet away from the window. If it's in an east or north facing room in the house, then you can be much, much closer to the window. So bright is important, but no direct sun. Now, here's a couple of the tricks with uh, peace lilies. They do want to be kept fairly warm. So that's the other reason we don't want to put them right in the window, because it's always chilly when we're right up against the glass. So having it uh, in a warm spot but no drafts, no hot air vents blowing on it, no cold air front doors being open near it, uh, so no drafts. So out of the draft, warm, no direct sun, and it does like its humidity. So remember, misting is a good idea, getting a pebble tray beneath it, so that's pebbles in a, you know, just a, a tray, a cookie sheet, plant sitting on top of the gravel, and water kept in the gravel at all times. Um, now, we do keep them moist all the time. They do like their water, uh, but, of course, in the winter, everything wants a little less of everything, so less water. So field, don't, don't, you say you water, but once every two weeks, feel the soil. I'm assuming this plant is in a pot with drainage. I can't really tell in the picture. So make sure that plant is in a pot with drainage. Feel the surface of the soil. When it starts to feel dry, water it. Okay, good. Uh, we've got a call uh, going to be coming in from Hamilton in just moments. Donna, very patiently waiting on the line. I'll remind you of the phone numbers here, 416-360-0740. Anywhere in the province, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. Charlie, run to the kitchen, grab yourself another <laughs> coffee, and we'll be back to say <laughs> hi to Donna in just a moment here on Zoomer Radio. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. All right, Charlie, we've got action in the Hamilton area. (laughs) Certainly Donna on the line. Good morning, Donna. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Frank and Charlie. I really enjoy your show, and I'm hoping you can help me out. We seem to have a problem uh, every winter with the hibiscus. Ours don't go outside. Ours stay in the house. And what happens is the leaves turn yellow, um, and you can see like a tiny dot on the back Mm -hmm. of the leaf. 
and sometimes uh, there's a little like a crystal that's sort of sh- uh, shiny mm-hmm. or you on the other hand sometimes you can see a little bit of webbing I've tried the safer soap it doesn't mm-hmm. seem to help and um, both plants we've lost this year uh, well the one I'm trying to hang on to the other one we let it go because it was just too infested yeah. uh, they both were in different areas can you help us? Well, and so, uh, okay, so what you're seeing uh, when you're seeing the little crystal dots on the plant, those are eggs and insects. Now, you you um, mentioned webbing. You've never seen little white flying insects at all around the hibiscus? Uh, the other one had it, yes. Okay. Yeah, because hibiscus, we love them. They're very tough plants, but they are very, very popular with many, many insects. They're pretty tasty, right? They're, it's all about flavor. So hibiscus, is, let me think of hibiscus tea, right? So um, the insects do go to them. The insects stay dormant all summer and when conditions are not optimal for the insects or in the case of spider mites, which aren't insects but spiders, they stay dormant, but they're there until the conditions are absolutely optimal for those uh, pests to emerge. Best conditions for the emergence, unfortunately, is uh, low humidity, and that is, of course, what we have in our homes in the winter. Furnace is on, fire is burning, um, humidity is low, and uh, the plants, of course, love high humidity and don't get it, and the insects just take total advantage of it. Both white flies and spider mites are very, very tough to control. There's, I, I tell you, honestly, I have battled them myself on hibiscus for years and it feels like you know I've done a really good job I've sprayed thoroughly I'm doing all the right things and uh, you know I follow the directions and I do it again 10 days later spray thoroughly you know take the plants into the shower spray with soap spray with things like bug be gone um, there's one that's uh, got canola oil in it so you know again just doing everything I can to annihilate the pests but they always come back yeah. So it's um, the dryness that brings them out then. Yeah, it is. So if you can raise the humidity around the plants, I mean, a couple of things you would do, you'll always find the pests and the bugs on the growing, the, the newest growth on plants like hibiscus. So right, because prune, the, li- the little tiny leaves that are coming out, that's already dropping. Exactly. So you get at your pruners, you get a green garbage bag, and you prune and drop what you're pruning into the green garbage bag immediately, closing it up in between cuttings. So you could just, I would cut back as hard as you possibly can, leave at least one green leaf on the plants, leave a little bit of green, and then start spraying. Safer soap uh, should work, follow the directions, but I, and do whatever you can to raise the humidity around the plants. Um, they do thrive outside in the summer, so that can be a way to really have them outgrow the, the pests. But unfortunately, I'm afraid you will. I just don't know how to really truly get rid of them. Okay, so the what, the crystal is is, is a eggs. spider mite. Uh, it could be white fly eggs. It could be spider mite eggs. It's it's insect eggs. Oh, okay. Okay. Thank you, Donna. Right. I guess so uh, we'll just have to try try again. I, know. I wish I could be more positive, but I, I have failed as well. <laughs> <laughs> she she's not perfect, which you know uh, I find difficult to believe myself. However, <laughs> and the fact that I'm admitting it really. Well, yeah. <laughs> she's my boss, so I got to say these nice things. Oh, you know we have a, a wonderful email here, very thoughtful from mm-hmm. Angela Grella. She says, uh, "Dear Ms. Dobbin." Uh, 
currently reading Nature's Best Hope by Douglas Dar uh, W. Ptolemy. Not sure if you've uh, written about his philosophy of the importance of connectivity, that conservation starts in our own backyard. He writes about ecologically enriched biological corridors to support entire life cycles of local biodiversity. Now, it's worth the read, says Angela, and a discussion may be in the Garden Show uh, to educate your listeners. The trend is to plant native species. Please spread the word and encourage garden centers to start selling more native plant in their respective garden centers and let's stop planting invasive species mm-hmm. like hear your comment on that one uh. yeah thank you angela great email and mm-hmm. great heads up to all of us absolutely yes uh what if he's a professor douglas w ptolemy t-a-l-l-a-m-y mm-hmm. who has just published a book nature's best hope he's a in the department of entomology and wildlife ecology at the university of delaware so um, just a, a quick search uh, into the book, which I hadn't heard of. So thank you, Angela, for the heads up. He's got some really great, really great points for all of us. We're not just talking big growers, but everybody, everybody who's doing anything, has any little piece of land anywhere, four points. Number one, shrink your lawn. Lawns do not support biodiversity. For sure, they do some things well. But if you can shrink your lawn and um, have less lawn, more garden, it's a good thing to support biodiversity in both plants, flora, and fauna, right? Number two, grow what he calls keystone plants. Keystone plants are typically native plants, uh, but some are better than others at supporting the local fauna. So do a little bit of research for your area to find out what are the best native plants to support your local um, yeah, fauna. This is insects, birds, bugs, snakes, toads, frogs, all of them, right? Uh, remember that caterpillars can be a good thing because caterpillars are very good food for birds. So don't always wipe out every caterpillar that you see. Uh, remember, a lot of caterpillars turn into butterflies as well. Uh, and um, so know, know your pollinators if you can and allow the caterpillars that you do see to complete their life cycle so that they do grow up to then produce more insects. Because remember, without insects, we have no fruit. We have no peaches, no pears, no apples. We need insects. So don't be so quick to wipe out every every caterpillar you see or every insect that you see. But it it looks like an excellent, excellent book. So well, thank you, thank- Angela Grella, for sending that uh, little note along to us. Yeah, nature's best hope, a new approach to conservation that starts in your yard. Very good. Okay, back to the phone lines. Here we go to uh, North York this time around. And, Charlie, we welcome Betty to the show. Good morning, Betty. Oh, hi. Good morning, Charlie and uh, Frank. Morning. I have I have Amanda Bella, which I successfully wintered last year, and it was beautiful all last summer. So mm-hmm. I brought it in again this uh, this fall and have been doing exactly what I did last year. It's in a sunny spot. It's, it has been doing well until the last two or three weeks. And I'm noticing that some of the leaves are turning yellow and they're dropping off. And I also am now noticing a fine, uh, I think it's a cobweb material around mm-hmm. and about. Um, am I watering it too much or? No, if you're seeing any kind of webbing on a tropical plant, yes. chances are you have an infestation of spider mite. Spider mite, yeah. 
Uh, which is never a good thing. Uh, so not, you know, not an easy uh, insect to be able to uh, control. And, um, yeah, we were just talking about it with uh, yes, Domina. Yes, uh-huh. So white flies, spider mites, real troublesome insects, real serious pests. And the thing about both white fly and spider mite is that they emerged as pests in the greenhouses, like the growers' greenhouses, many, many years ago, like 40, 50 years ago. And at that time, they were able to use various chemical sprays to control these pests. But because insects breed so quickly, they very quickly uh, bred for resistance to the available chemicals. So there are no toxic chemicals you can use that will kill spider mite or white fly other than some cultural uh, suggestions like raising humidity, cutting the plant back, things like safer soap as, and following the directions obviously on the, the, the um, uh, spray that you're going to use. Because the way soap works is the soap has to coat the bodies of the pest because they will then suffocate with soap all over their bodies. But that doesn't stop the eggs. So again, you have to spray again seven to 10 days later, depending on your temperature, as the eggs are hatching, you're continuing to spray in an effort to try and annihilate all of them. Should I cut it back? I would. Cut it back? No? Mm-hmm. Yes, I would, I would cut it back, yes. Cut it back? Because it's less to spray, right? It's less for you to spray and it's less for the pest to feed on. So you have all you can always limit a population of anything by limiting its food. Yes, so I see. cut the plant back. You're going to at that point, and when you're cutting it back, of course, like I said, have a green garbage bag handy yes. and be dropping those cuttings right into the bag. Don't be walking through the house with uh, potentially spreading spider mite as you walk. Should I fertilize it? Not yet. Wait till yet. wait till the days get a little longer. Uh, yes. Wait till March. Uh, fertilizer will promote growth. But it won't do anything about the pests. Yeah, no. And also watering. Should I continue to water well? Of course. Uh, when dry, water thoroughly when dry. Good. Okay, uh, thank, thank, you. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Good okay. Luck We're kind of running the danger there of uh, overloading with questions. Well, it's funny <laughs> but, to say. Uh, you know, one, follows, thing. one thing follows another, I know. I know. Uh, okay, Betty, thank you very much for that call. And a note here from Alice McKinnon. Hi, Charlie. We have a beautiful amaryllis that had three beautiful blooms per stalk. Then I cut it and put it in a vase of water, and it lasted for another 10 days. My question is, we're going to plant it in the pot in the ground in the spring. When we bring it back in, aren't there roots at the bottom of the pot that should be cut? As I imagine, it'll grow in the summer. Well, there you go. Okay, good question. Uh, a lot of things going on with amaryllis at this time of year. So between pests like spider mites and amaryllis, we have a theme here. Um, what I would say to you, Alice, is good idea. Get that amaryllis out for the summer. I'd definitely leave it in the pot. Sure, um, plop that pot down into the ground. It will help keep it moist, and also it looks nice in the ground. as a nice green, strappy plant. Do not worry about the roots. What you're going to do when you lift the pot in the fall... Of course, the pot will have drainage holes in it. You never, ever grow anything in a pot without drainage holes. Then you lift it, you wash all the soil off of the outside of the pot. Take a look. If there's roots growing out of the drainage holes, then we can consider repotting. But remember, amaryllis does like to be pot-bound. Amaryllis likes a pot that always looks too small and likes to be a really compact, the roots really sort of 
compacted into the pot. And, uh, you know, generally we do repot the amaryllis every three to five years, but wait until you see roots growing out of the bottom of the pot. And at that point, yes, go ahead and repot. Okay. Uh, let's uh, go to a phone line here now uh, for uh, another Hamilton listener, Sharon on the line. Good morning, Sharon. Good morning, Frank. How are you? Good, thank you. Morning. I have a question for Charlie. Yep. I got a Christmas plant for Christmas, and um, it only grows at, at Christmas time. Um, do you have to water it until it grows again? So are we talking about a poinsettia, perhaps, with the red, big sort of yeah, red? Yeah, it was a poinsettia. It was a, 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 yellow, uh, a yellow one. Oh, interesting. So like almost an ivory color. Yeah, an ivory color, but uh, all of the leaves have gone, have gone, have gone. Okay. Right, so what I, if, 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 yes, indeed, if you, if you never water it, it will die. So feel the soil. If the soil is bone dry, uh, give it, a, give it some water. Make sure it's got a saucer below so that you can catch the water because the water is going to run right through if it's very, very dry and give it a 10 or 15 minutes sitting in that saucer of water. If Whatever's left in the saucer at that point, just dump it down the sink and make sure the plant is in a, a spot that's bright. It doesn't have to be right in a window. It definitely doesn't want to be in any drafts, no hot drafts, no cold drafts. And if there is no leaves on it right now, uh, see what happens. You'll often find if there is still life in the plant, cutting it down a little bit will often force it to start to grow. But just do that watering once. And if nothing happens and it just sits there with no growth, no green whatsoever, then it's compost. Okay. There we are. Okay. That should answer the question. Uh, <laughs> let's go back to the uh, emails that we've received now. As a matter of fact, we have a neat note here from uh, Dieter in Honey Harbor. It says, Hi, Charlie. I have a question regarding gypsy moth. Where we live in Honey Harbor, we have a lot of trees around us. And last year, we had no problems with the gypsy moth and saw very few. However, this year, since all of the leaves are gone, I see the egg deposits of the gypsy moth on a lot of trees. I think that if all the eggs hatch, we'll have a very, very big gypsy moth problem in 2021. And he goes on to say that, would it be helpful if I scrape off the egg deposits which are located at the reasonable height? Or is there anything on the market I could obtain to put a pressure sprayer which would allow me to reach the egg deposits that are high up in the trees? My wife, Ann, and I listen to your show Saturday mornings and hope to hear about this problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is a problem. And you know what, Frank, you might not be remembering, but last week we had a question um, who was it? Patricia sent in two questions and yes. we answered one of them last week. But her, she's a, a renter, lives in a rental home in Bradford. Yep. And her question number two was the same thing that she saw all kinds of insects inside cocoons clinging to her trees late last summer. And she cut them out and burned them and then is worrying about the, the future. What about what might happen in the future? So, you know what? Uh, gypsy moth. As all insects do, they, the populations will tend to have cycles. So every seven to ten years, we see <clears throat> huge infestations. <clears throat> excuse me, of gypsy moths in southern Ontario. <clears throat> excuse me, on some of our trees. So here's what gypsy moth eggs look like, Dieter and uh, Patricia. If you're out, uh, and anybody who's listening, get outside, look at the bark of your trees. If you see masses 
egg masses that are kind of a tan or a buff color, but they're very fuzzy and hairy looking. And they're stuck right on the bark. <clears throat> could be right on the main trunk, could be on branches. Bottom line is, it's quite a little mass of eggs. Uh, you can also find those eggs on outdoor furniture, on the sides of buildings, even on a stack of firewood. So those eggs are laid in the fall. They're both the size of a loony, and that egg mass can contain up to a 1,000 eggs, which is the last wow. thing you want hatching in the spring as the leaves are just emerging on your trees. So get out something nice and soft, a plastic scraper. It could be a you know, wallpaper scraper. It could be a egg lifter. It could be a credit card. But bottom line is get outside, get uh, something to scrape these egg masses into. You don't just scrape them and let them drop on the ground. You have to collect what you're scraping into a tin can or, a, uh, you know, some kind of a container, a t- yogurt container, and make sure that you drown those uh, egg masses in soapy water. So soapy water, let them drop in, let them drown. Uh, when it comes to the up high, can't get that high, consider calling an arborist. An arborist can get up there and, and do the scraping for you. You will not find a pressure sprayer that will be able to remove the masses and not damage the bark of the trees. As well, keep, uh, keep in mind that once the temperatures are above zero, so once we're into some real spring weather, uh, yeah, four or five degrees Celsius or 40 Fahrenheit, and there's no wind at all, you can get out some horticultural oil, which is part of a dormant spray kit. And if you spray oil on just when it's warm enough, those eggs are just starting to hatch, you get that oil on at the right time, you can kill a lot of these, um, these little emerging gypsy moths or caterpillars. So uh, certainly consider um, you know, sort of the two things. One is now when they're dormant, scrape and drown. And as they're starting to emerge, have some horticultural oil and a, a hose end sprayer or some kind of a sprayer handy and uh, get on it. Oaks tend to be their favorite tree. So start by looking at your oak trees, but move into your poplars, your maples, aspen. These are all very, very popular with gypsy moths. Okay. I'm delighted to look at the screen here and notice that we've got a first-time caller waiting <laughs> online. And uh, so, Deborah, you hold tight. I'm going to come back and give that bell a good shake for you here <laughs> on The Garden Show from Zuma Radio. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, I've reached for that little bell and here it is. That's her first time caller. Uh... Let's see. Oh, Deborah, of course, in Toronto. Good morning, Deborah. Good morning, Frank. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. My husband and I love your show. <laughs> you. uh, it's exciting for me to be calling you this morning. Um, we're trying to grow poblano peppers from seed. We uh, love the pepper, and um, we have uh, quite a uh, quite a little uh, bowl of seeds. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know how to get them started, mm-hmm. and uh, what is the best time to start. So, and you'll be able to take them outside. You've got a nice sunny, either above ground in pots or, or sunny garden spot to put them outside? Yes, we do. Okay. So you don't want to start them too early. 
because you will really regret it. They'll get really big and really leggy and be falling all over the place. Because uh, remember, they don't go outside until it's, we have no chance of frost and preferably things have warmed up quite substantially. So they're not going to be going outside, even in Toronto, till late May at the soonest. So generally what I would do, I would start them uh, six to eight weeks before they're going outside. Okay. Okay, and you're going to get a seed-starting mix. You don't just use regular potting soil. You'll have best uh, germination if you use a germination mix or seed-starting mix uh, that you'll buy in a bag. It'll be completely sterile. And um, what you plant into is just going to depend on what you've got, whether it's a flats or little cell packs or, um, you know, lots and lots of little peat pots and different things you can plant into. A um, little bit of heat from below, warmth from below or planting it, um, seeding. Because when your seeds are first planted, they don't need light. Until they grow, they can actually grow in, a, in, in the dark, <clears throat> most of them, and peppers for sure because you're going to have them a little bit under the surface of the soil. Uh, of course, it's going to be a moist soil, and you're going to mist it after you've planted the seeds, and uh, you know, sort of two seeds per cell pack. And I had some great success growing cat grass for my cat recently, and I hadn't even thought of this, because usually I'll, I'll do like, um, I don't have a proper seed warming pad, but I'll use like literally a heating pad beneath um, a flat with seeds to grow. This warms up the soil and speeds up germination. But I actually have a heated bathroom floor in my new home. And I just put this um, literally like a box with cat grass seeds in it. And boy, did they grow fast just sitting on the floor in my heated bathroom. And uh, once, of course, they started to grow, I got them out into the sun and the cat was thrilled and that all went really well. And peppers are very easy to grow from seed. It's just a, the main thing is give them the right conditions, give them some warmth, give them proper soil, uh, proper moisture. And once they start to grow, lots and lots of light. Okay. All righty. Good. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you for so joining much. us. You're very welcome. Okay. Uh, let's see. Oh, here's a, a note from uh, Angela via email. Hi, Charlie. I was wondering the best way to grow cornflower from seed. Is it better to let the seeds drop from the plant to the ground naturally or start them inside? And when do you do this? And she mentions that she hasn't seen any plants come up uh, from seeds dropping. Right. So, uh, okay, so I guess the problem with the the term cornflower, <laughs> there's a, a number of plants that get that name. Assuming we're talking about the same plant here, its proper name is Centaurea. So C-E-N-T-A-U-R-E-A, Centaurea, also commonly known as bachelor buttons. So again, assuming we're talking about the, the same plant here, uh, I'm surprised it hasn't come up from seed because it, it will. Um, now you can allow, collect seeds, which it sounds like maybe Angela has done, and it's up to you. You can uh, direct seed the seeds outside in the spring, just wherever you want them to grow, uh, roughly about a half of an inch deep, like covering them about a half of an inch deep, lightly with soil, of course, watering them, uh, thin them once they start to grow so that they're a good six to nine inches apart. Um, that can You can definitely do that. You could also start them indoors if you wanted. I would be careful to, again, don't start any seeds too early inside because they will be, you'll be cursing the size that the plants get to and you won't be able to take them outside yet because it'll be tender. Even though cornflowers or, or bachelor buttons are tough little plants, you, you, when you start them indoors, they will be tender and you'll have to wait for the, for it to be a frost free environment before you can take them out. So, 
So yeah, start them inside six to eight weeks before the last frost or take those seeds and direct seed them outside where you want them to grow in the spring. Okay. Um, let me remind folks of the phone numbers here in Toronto. Call 416-360-0740. Anywhere in the province, toll free, 1-866-740-4740. And thank you so much for all the folks who have taken the time to send you emails, Charlie. And let me remind you, we we, we do uh, look forward to those, and they're really a tremendous help on the show. So, Charlie's address, here it is, c.dobbin, D-O-B-B-I-N, at at mzmedia.com. Now, let me fire a question at you, uh, Charlie. Me? Do you remember where you were when Neil Armstrong landed on the moon? Yeah, I do, I do. 1969. Yep, yep. My I family, remember. Can I tell you? It was the summertime, and my family was uh, up at our very, very isolated little cabin in the woods um, <laughs> in the middle of Lake Tomogamy, yeah. where there was no electricity, no running water, and certainly no television. And my dad, recognizing what an important uh, event this was going to be, packed everybody up, including the big German shepherd, into the boat. And off we went, you know, uh, 50 miles down the lake to our car. We got in a car. We drove to North Bay and booked a night in a motel room where the whole family piled into one little room <laughs> and watched on a scratchy little black and white TV the uh, the big moonwalk and then jumped in the car and went back up to to the island the next day. It was it was very memorable, but wow. memorable because it was such a trip to get to yeah. a TV. What a great memory! <laughs> the reason I asked this question, our next caller Teresa, who will who will speak to in a couple of moments, is from Palmerston or. As the natives then would call it, Palmerston. Uh, I was at the Palmer, Palmerston, Palmer House Hotel uh, doing some MC work that night and raced back to London, Ontario to watch the moon landing with a whole bunch of friends. And it, it just sticks in my mind so much. Yeah, my gosh. Anyway, kidding. Teresa, you hang tight there in Palmerston. <laughs> we'll be to you shortly here on The Garden Show. <laughs> Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Okay, Charlie, let's welcome Teresa online from Palmerston. Good morning, Teresa. Good morning. I hear I live in a very important part of Ontario. <laughs> you certainly do. <laughs> Sounds like it. <laughs> um, I ha- I'm a plant lover, mm-hmm. and I have all these little black flies, very tiny. I have one screen in the living room window, and they go right through there and are resting on the window that I have to crank open and go outside and clean that. Um, what is the cause? So It can't be uh, overwatering because I do it once a week. Right. But remember, we never water on the calendar. We water based on, on the weather. Plant. The plants are dry or not. Okay. But it sounds like if you're seeing these little tiny black flying insects that look a lot like fruit flies, yes. and you're seeing them at this time of year, they likely are not fruit flies. They are likely something called fungus gnats, so G-N-A-T-S. Yes. Uh, you'll know which plants have fungus gnats inside them if you take the palm of your hand and you bang the side of a pot, a cloud of little flies will fly up out of these little gnats. So you could go through your plant collection, figure out which ones appear to have little clouds of gnats flying out of the pot, isolate those pots from the others if you can, do a, do a bit of a, you know, a hospital room <clears throat> for the, 
And you can really like move the, the plants, the pots into a room separately from the ones that don't appear to have gnats flying up out of them. Then once you've, you've got the isolation factor under control and you've got your, your little uh, triage area, your trick to eliminate those fungus gnats is to water less in those pots. So water when dry, but do not keep constantly moist. So feel the soil before you water. You'll find that less water means less fungus, which means less gnats. And get a hold of something called sticky sticks, which is like flypaper. Sticky and then S-T-I-X, made by Safers. Yellow sticky paper that the those little gnats are flying to the window because they're very attracted to the sun and they're also very attracted to the warmth on the window. And if you give them little yellow sticky papers, they're very attracted to the yellow and they will fly to that as well and get stuck and die on the sticky sticks. So it is a great way to lower the population and ultimately eliminate the population with less watering and these little traps. Now, um, where do I get them? Right now, uh, you would have to probably order them online or call if you have a local garden center or um, even Canadian Tire, you know, home hardware. Call them. You could probably do a curbside pickup on something like that at a local home store or, or any garden center. Okay, I'll have to get somebody to do that for me. I do not do any uh, computer work. Yeah, but, uh, but my call. plants look healthy. My oh, violets yeah. are blooming. It's interesting. The, the little insects that you're seeing flying around are the adults. The larvae, which are minuscule little white uh, caterpillars, they are eating fungus in the soil. In the soil. And they will sometimes chew on the roots a bit, but not very much. So they really are not a huge detriment to the plants. No. It's just most people just don't like them flying around. It's just, you know, they go up your nose and in your eyes. And, <laughs> and like you said, they get all over the window. Well, it seems they're mostly on my windowsills where I have the plants. Yeah, that's because they're, 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 they're very for handy <laughs> for them. Okay. Now, you, you won't laugh if I tell you what I've been doing. <laughs> no, go ahead. We promise. I, I spray a little raid on a Kleenex, and I wipe it on the bottom of my plant. <laughs> yeah. No. Like on the bottom of the pot, because it has holes. Mm-hmm. So then I think it might. But they're blooming. Yeah. My amaryllis is blooming, so uh, that can't harm it. No, raid will not hurt the pots or the insects or the plants. <laughs> well, thank you so much that I, that I do accept my call. Oh, thank you, you for calling. Thank you, Teresa. <laughs> and uh, let's see, let me check. The, yeah, time quickly here, if I get to this one email here. It's from Barbara in Fergus, Ontario. Hi, Charlie and Frank. I have an elderberry bush, a lemon lace flowering shrub from Proven Winners. It starts the season out growing and looking really good, only to find as time goes by, Parts of the plant turn brown and start to die. I suspect a worm is the cause of the dying branches. What can I do to ensure the plant stays healthy throughout the season? Hmm. Right. So I, I had to do a little research on this. <clears throat> this is not a plant that I have grown. It is uh, a member of the Proven Winners family. And, of course, Proven Winners does all kinds of great, very ornamental plants. So this is an elderberry that is golden and very, so very, very pretty couple of things is I would hard prune in the spring. You don't mention about pruning, but um, Barbara, if you really prune that plant back hard in the spring, like I'm saying hard, you will have a better looking plant. It'll be much more dense, much more compact. It'll be uh, not tall and scraggly and falling over. Make sure it's in full sun. So minimum four hours, preferably six hours 
of direct sunlight every day. I suggest mulch around the bottom of the plant, make sure there's not lawn growing right up to it, that it's in a garden or at least it's got a mulch circle around it. So, uh, and do water when we get into drought sort of uh, situations. Uh, I do not know otherwise why the plant would turn brown and die. You said you suspect a worm, but um, there, I don't know of any specific insect that goes after uh, Sambucus or elderberry bushes. So for now, just those cultural things, hard pruning, full sun, mulch. See how it goes this season. And if you, if you again, you seem to see this problem, try and scout out what might be, you know, take pictures, send me pictures, and, and we'll go from there. But I think just making those changes culturally might make a make a big difference for this plant. Okay. I've been keeping my eye on the clock there. We're fresh out of time right now. Me too. Yeah. yeah. Where's it happen? Uh, yep. Where to go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Dave Corner Garage guys have arrived. They're ready to whoop it up in the studio next to us here. Truly whoop it Let's up. do it all over again next week, Charlie. Yes, indeed. Thank you. Thank you for all your help, Frank. You're a very good reader of emails and answerer of phone calls. Thanks, Carlos. Couldn't do it without you and all our great callers and listeners. See you all again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.